Good evening. My name is Dan Peake. Welcome to the WDRT Monthly Review, a look back at this past month's news stories for March 2022. We hope you will offer your feedback by emailing monthlyreview at wdrt.org. This month, I am broadcasting from Miami, where my mother is turning 95 years old. New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman quotes South African anti-apartheid uh, revolutionary uh, Nelson Mandela. There is nobody more dangerous than one who has been humiliated. Friedman added, Putin's narcissism and overreach has brought his war against Ukraine on us all. On February 24, 2022, Russian President Vladimir Putin began his invasion of Ukraine. This was, of course, the lead news item for my monthly review on February 25th. President Biden let us know what was going to happen and when by regularly sharing intelligence in advance of the invasion. He was right. I think he's a war criminal, said Biden, about Putin in response to a reporter's question on March 16th, and Putin is now charged as a war criminal by the United States. Some had said this could not happen. In November 2021, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson responded to a warning that Russia was amassing tanks on the Ukrainian border with, we have to recognize that the old concepts of fighting big tank battles on European land masses are over. At the other end of the spectrum is Russian chess grandmaster, former world chess champion and political activist Gary Kasparov, who commented, I was stunned by the unwillingness of people in the West to hear these warnings because I grew up in the Soviet Union and knew all about the historical events of the 20th century and knew that you could have stopped Hitler in 1935 and 1936 and 1937 and did not. But I had so much outright rejection of what I had been saying. It's not like his actions were done in the darkness. It all happened in plain sight. But after the end of the Cold War, there was some kind of allergy for any warnings about repetition of events. There was this assumption that Putin would never destroy businesses because it seemed irrational for him to do that. Kasparov predicted this war will end with the Ukrainian flag on Sevastopol. The head of a group of serving and retired Russian military officers, Leonid Ivashov, said in advance, even invading Ukraine would be pointless and extremely dangerous. It would kill thousands, make Russians and Ukrainians enemies for life, risk a war with NATO, and threaten the existence of Russia in itself as a state. There was also the former guy who tried to open Eastern European doors for Putin. Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton, offered Donald Trump cared one thing about Ukraine, which was how does it affect his political life? And I can say that every other senior national security advisor, Mike Pompeo, Mark Esper at Defense, all of us felt that we needed to bolster Ukraine security and were appalled at what Trump was doing. In your second Trump term, I think he may well have withdrawn from NATO, and I think Putin was waiting for that. One month in, Putin's invasion of Ukraine has not gone to plan. Many describe a stalemate, this from the BBC a few, weeks, a few days ago. The failure of the initial campaign to seize major cities like Kiev, Kharkiv, and Odessa could result in a very violent and bloody stalemate that could last four weeks or months, warns the Institute for Study of War. The ferocity of the Ukrainian resistance has meant Russian forces have been forced to change their approach. They are now pursuing a strategy of attrition, which could result in increased civilian casualties and greater destruction of cities in the coming days. In Mirapol, the last, in the last week, Russian bombing was uh, hit a maternity hospital, a theater marked children, with 130 persons rescued out of 1,300 unaccounted for, and an art school that was sheltering 400 people. Kiev, the capital with a population of 2.8 million people, is expected to be the focus of 
Russian bombardment and desperate street fighting, the same model Putin used to destroy, literally flatten the Chechen capital of Grozny in the second Russian assault, 1999-2000, and Aleppo, Syria, in 2016. During the 1995 Grozny siege, Russian artillery fired 30,000 rounds a day at its peak, equivalent to one every 20 seconds, leaving an estimated 27,000 to 50,000 civilians dead at its city's original population of 270,000. Already, Russian frustration with their inability to take Kharkiv in the east has led to artillery assaults that have destroyed entire neighborhoods. The same is now underway for Mirapol. In a speech to a joint meeting of House and Senate last week, Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky offered this. Russia has attacked not just us, not just our land, not just our cities. It went on a brutal offensive against our values, basic human values. It threw tanks and planes against our freedom, against our right to live freely in our own country, choosing our own future, against our desire for happiness, against our national dreams, just like the same dreams you have, you Americans. Putin has justified the invasion by claiming Russia is liberating Ukraine from Nazis, even though Zelensky is Jewish. And far-right national groups have little influence in the country. Zelensky's great-grandfather and three of his grandfather's brothers died as a result of the Nazi invasion of Ukrainian territory. His grandfather and his grandfather's brothers took up arms against the Nazis in the Red Army. His grandfather was the only one to survive. Historian and expert on authoritarianism, Timothy Snyder, offered this explanation. When Putin talks about denazification, he doesn't mean getting rid of Nazis. What he means is I, the dictator, have the right to say what the word Nazi means. By denazification, he means getting rid of Ukrainians who are willing to resist anything he tries to do. He means destroying the state and destroying the nation. So he's reached the depth of, depths of schizofascism. But he's operationalized this to mean he has the right to determine when this war will be over. It will only be over when Ukraine is so humiliated that it's willing to accept his characterization of it. And, of course, the Ukrainians are not going to do that. Biden and the West have imposed aggressive economic sanctions on Russia to isolate it from the rest of the world. Washington Post reported more than half of the goods and services flowing into Russia come from 46 or more countries that have levied sanctions or trade restrictions, with the United States and European Union leading the way. In a speech last week at Defiant, Putin acknowledged this reality. It is difficult for us at the moment. Russian financial uh, companies, major enterprises, small and medium businesses are facing unprecedented pressure. Putin vowed Russia would overcome an economic blitzkrieg. The sanctions on Russia are unprecedented and include cutting Russian banks off from access to SWIFT, cross-border payment system. Assets have been seized and frozen. Trade has been halted. Frozen assets include Russian central bank funds that were meant to serve as a backstop to limit economic impact. Interest rates are up dramatically. The exchange value of the ruble has decreased dramatically. International investment and financing has stopped. Factories are closing. Materials are not available. Replacement parts for airplanes, machinery. The scope and effectiveness look to be well beyond what Russia and Putin anticipated. McDonald's closed 850 restaurants. That is still paying 62,000 Russian workers. Hundreds of companies are quitting their Russian businesses, but some companies like Coke Industries plan to continue with operations. More than 3 million Ukrainians have fled the country. More than 6 million are displaced in the country, with a population of only 43 million. Putin's military strategy of flattening the major population centers, uh, such as uh, uh, Grozny, as he did with Grozny and Aleppo, are creating untold misery. 
Since the Russian invasion of Ukraine began, Biden has focused on three policies, sanctioning Russia, bolstering NATO's defenses, and providing security assistance to Ukraine. All three policies have been calibrated to deter Russian President Vladimir Putin's aggression without escalating the conflict. No one knows how this will end, back to Snyder, who offers. So we're in for a very long struggle, unless Mr. Putin himself starts to feel that his power might be threatened. I think that's the moment where this might start to change. Putin's calculation was that his 12,000 tanks and 5,000 nuclear weapons would bring Ukraine into West to their knees, maybe even being welcomed as the freedom forces he imagined in his own isolation. Whatever he accomplishes in the short term leads to isolation for all Russia and great economic struggles for years. The question is how bad might this get? Chemical weapons, tactical, tactical nuclear weapons, increased cyber attacks, countries cooperating against Russia will be invaded. All of these are threats leveled by Putin or are predictions of what to expect next. There's an on, there is a coming shortage of diesel fuel. Oil is now weaponized after oil producers rebalanced production for reduced demand through the 2020 pandemic. There is not a switch to flip. Saudi Arabia said it is not to be blamed for oil prices, but will not pick up slack for from increased demand because Biden has not been nice to Prince Mohammed bin Salman, lecturing on human rights and holding him accountable for the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Most producers, including U.S. shell firms, are happy with the high prices and profits and are in no rush to invest in new production. The public is afraid of drill, baby drill, forever links the U.S. to strategic blackmail. The U.S. is the largest oil producer in the world at 11 million barrels a day, but the U.S. is also the largest consumer at 20 million barrels a day. It is not possible to drill our way to independence. Even before Russia invaded Ukraine, demand was outpacing, outpacing supply. Renewable energy is the only path to energy independence, something you will never hear a Republican admit. But could Putin save democracy? The Freedom House 2022 report on the dire threat to global freedom released last month noted that democracies are being harmed from within by illiberal forces, including unscrupulous politicians willing to corrupt and shatter the very institutions that brought them to power. The primary example was that of the United States, which has fallen below its traditional peers on key democratic indicators, including presidential elections, freedom from improper political influence, and equal treatment of minority groups. The democratic principles of pluralism, equality, and accountability, as well as basic stewardship and public service have been lost, endangering the rights and well-being of all residents. To solidify their hold on power, they have spread distrust in elections, as former President Donald Trump famously did in the 2020 election season, even before his loss to Democrat Joe Biden, claiming that he would only lose if there was fraud. National, state, and local officials lined up behind Trump to try to overturn the election results, spreading the big lie that Biden's election was illegitimate. The result was the assault on the U.S. Capitol. But now, Putin's war in Ukraine has clarified the contest between democracy and authoritarianism, even as the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol is uncovering just how close we came to our own authoritarian coup. As Timothy Snyder said, no one knows how this ends. Meanwhile, in Wisconsin, yet another side example of how far we are from the world we want for all of us. A police officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, has resigned from his position as a school security officer after videos circulating on social media showed him restraining a 12-year-old student by putting his knee on her neck. The video shows the officer restraining the student and kneeling on her neck for at least 20 seconds, a maneuver that mirrored the one used by Derek Chauvin in the murder of George
deployed in Minneapolis in 2020. In 2021, Governor Evers, Tony Evers of Wisconsin, signed a package of bills involving the use of force, including a bill prohibiting the use of chokeholds by law enforcement. Former state Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman for months has been conducting a probe of the 2020 election authorized by State Assembly Speaker Robin Voss. Gableman's interim report, released in March ahead of a hearing in front of the State Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections, attacks Wisconsin election administrators and argues for dismantling the state's bipartisan election board and limiting mail voting. But perhaps most astonishingly, given the election experts and legal scholars say such a step is not possible, Gableman argued that the 2020 election results could be decertified, something that Trump has advocated since his loss. I believe the legislature ought to take a very hard look at the option of decertification of the 2020 election, Gableman said at the hearing. The Wisconsin judge did order Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss to produce deleted emails in response to an open records request filed by the liberal watchdog group American Oversight seeking documents related to the investigation of the 2020 election. Dane County Circuit Judge Valerie Bailey-Rin also ordered Voss to search his private email accounts and text messages for any relevant deleted message messages. If there is a reason why they can't produce, be produced, I want to know, she said. The case is one of three seeking records from Voss and the investigator he hired, Wisconsin, former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, who is leading the investigation or the probe into the election won by, by Biden. So Gableman and Voss deleting emails, fighting court orders to keep the sun from shining on their shenanigans or crimes. These, the two that want witnesses to appear behind closed doors or go to jail. Let's look at voting news, starting with Wisconsin. He divided Wisconsin Supreme Court on Wednesday throughout Wisconsin state legislative maps drawn by the state's Democratic governor adopted by its highest court, a win for Republicans who control the legislature. Republicans who control the legislature filed an emergency request for the U.S. Supreme Court to intervene in the legislative redistricting case, saying Governor Tony Evers shifted too many votes to create an additional majority black district that Democrats said was required by Federal Voting Rights Act. The decision was another in which the court majority expressed skepticism about efforts to redraw maps to boost minority chances. The U.S. Supreme Court earlier this month refused requests from Republicans in North Carolina and Pennsylvania to block new congressional maps approved by courts in those states, meaning the fall elections will be held in districts more favorable to Democrats than the ones created by the GOP legislatures. North Carolina Republican leaders had asked the U.S. Supreme Court to embrace an unprecedented theory that the state's judiciary could not impose a new map for congressional elections, even though it found the legislature's version had violated the state's guarantee for free and fair elections. The U.S. Constitution, they argued, leaves the question in the hands of the legislature, not courts. Three of the court's dissenting conservatives, Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Neil Gorsuch, said they would have intervened that they thought the theory advanced by the challengers was probably correct and that they are eager to consider such a challenge. Another conservative, Brett Kavanaugh, expressed interest too, but he said it was too close to the May 17th primary to take up the North Carolina case now. Looking ahead, a Texas primary shows us the damage we can expect from Republican state legislatures that enacted a raft of new voting restrictions after the 2020 elections. The top line number is that 13% of all mail-in ballots, one out of every eight, wound up being rejected. 
The majority of them were rejected because voters failed to meet the new ID requirement, a rejection rate 10 times higher than is typical. Democrats use mail-in ballots at twice the rate of Republicans, so if mail ballots are being rejected at a higher rate overall, it stands to reason that Democrats, it costs Democrats more. Layer on top, the higher rejection rates in bigger Democratic counties, and you have a disproportionate rejection of votes for Democrats. Party of Trump continues to lurch further to the right. Senator Rick Scott, Republican of Florida, and the National Republican Senatorial Committee chair offered a detailed plan for how Republicans will run for re-election and election. We will not allow socialism to place the needs of the state ahead of the family. The plan promises that children will say the Pledge of Allegiance and learn that America is a great country. They will not learn critical race theory, and discussion of race will be banned from American society. To protect the family, the Republican plan calls for destroying the business regulation, social safety net, federal promotion of infrastructure, and protection of civil rights that Americans have embraced since 1930s, and handing power over to the wealthy. It promises to grow America's economy, starve Washington's economy, and stop socialism. Scott's plan will dramatically increase taxes on Americans earning less than $100,000, raising $1 trillion over 10 years, although they will also cut the Internal Revenue Service by 50%, the government would be hard-pressed to collect those taxes. Since government should not be doing anything that the private sector can do better and cheaper, they will make sure all laws expire after five years, ending them with an idea that Congress will simply repass good laws. They would end Social Security, which, by the way, protects children as well as the elderly and disabled, Medicare, Medicaid, and so on, they will sell off all non-essential government assets, buildings, and land, maybe including national parks, and cut funding to states other than disaster relief. Meanwhile, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, members of Congress who spoke, who spoke at a white nationalist event in Florida, Senator Mitt Romney, Republican Utah, said they are morons with no place in the Republican Party. Yesterday, we learned the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, Virginia, had repeatedly, 29 times, communicated with former Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in the weeks after Election Day, exhorting him to pursue unrelenting efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Help this great president stand firm, Mark. You are the leader, with him who is standing for America's constitutional governments at the precipice. The majority know Biden's, Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history. This is the same Mark Meadows who echoes the claims of fraudulent election, but who sold his North Carolina home to move to South Carolina for $1.6 million and bought a house trailer in the North Carolina mountains, which his wife has used for voter registration. The voter registration forms state that a, that a residential address is where you physically live, which one signs under penalty of perjury. Enough. But what a better timing to end with a reminder that our Senator Ron Johnson and seven other Republican politicians spent July 4th, 2018 in Moscow, a Trumpian apology tour for so much Russia bashing about election interference. But Democrats have a problem with brand. Political summarized a 14-page analysis of suburban political outlook. The premise is that the old drivers of race, income, and education have morphed through the Trump years to pop only population density world is red, cities are blue, with the suburbs as the remaining area of swing voters and 2018 and 2020 as the outlier election. The suburbs have not turned blue. Politico's summary for problems for Dems, the 
cultural wars and identity politics of the Democratic Party. During a time of rising crime, they do not support defunding the police, and they are not looking for an expansive or intrusive federal government. Voter problems for Republicans include Trumpian conspiracy theories about 2020, defenses of the January 6th insurrection, and intolerance of out-of-the-state, out-of-the-mainstream views on social issues like abortion guns promoted by today's Trump-dominated Republican Party. Dems lost ground with Latino voters, stand accused of taking black voters for granted. Democrats are prevailing over an excellent economic recovery story with job growth and wage increases, but somehow can't sort out how to use this for an advantage. Republicans are making sure voters blame Democrats for inflation and crime. The survey shows, same survey shows, economic concerns substantially advantage the GOP. Voters who identify jobs, the economy as their number one concern favor Republicans by 20 points. Among those who put cost of living at the top, that Republicans are at a 24-point advantage. Democrats don't run on jobs, even with a remarkable record of job creation. Federal officials forecast marginally slower growth this year, which they see steadying at 2% in 2024. They also expect the unemployment rate to stabilize at 3.5% before ticking up to 3.6% in two years' time, in nary a word from Dems. COVID increasingly a non-issue, maybe. In the coming weeks, the United States could see another wave of COVID-19 infections driven by a subvariant of the Omicron strain known as BA2. While federal government needs to do much more to prepare for this potential surge, we may not need to be too worried. The combination of recovery from Omicron and vaccination means that the United States has a high has high rates of immunity against BA2. The influential Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation has estimated that as many as 80% of Americans have some immunity that will protect them against the new Omicron wave. This may be enough to successfully decouple infection from hospitalization, such as the uh, such that a rise in cases does not overwhelm hospitals. Congress is acting like COVID is done by refusing to authorize funds to purchase a potential fourth coronavirus vaccine dose for everyone, even as other countries place their own orders and potentially move ahead of the United States in line. Federal officials have secured enough doses to cover a fourth shot for Americans age 80, uh, 65 and older, and as well as an initial regimen for children under five should regulators determine those shots necessary. There's more horrible climate news. Jonathan Will, a researcher studying polar meteorology at University of Grenoble, out in France, in an email. Antarctic climatology has been rewritten tweeted Stefano Battista, a researcher who has published studies on Antarctic temperatures. He added that temperature anomalies would have been considered impossible and unthinkable before they actually occurred. Parts of eastern Antarctica have seen temperatures hover 70 degrees, 40 degrees Celsius, above normal for three days. This was the week of the Senate hearings for Biden's Supreme Court Justice nominee, Judge Kentanji Brown-Jackson. A vote on her nomination will happen in early April. I know some of you are paying close attention to the daily proceedings. I will use the voice of New York Times opinion columnist Charles Blow to summarize, starting with his headline, The Using of Contenging Brown Jackson. Blow points out the confirmation process has devolved into a petty partisan exercise. The party with the most votes in the Senate will get its way regardless of what the hearings may reveal, which bodes well for Jackson. Some lines of question might well be replaced with, I feel Brett Kavanaugh was mistreated and I am still mad about it. More significantly, 
he went on dog whistles over Jackson's sentencing history for people tried for possession of of child pornography. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee, is one example of rushing right past Jackson's defense of her record and proceeded to misrepresent the words of Jackson to conclude that Jackson committed an unforgivable act of suggesting it is a mistake to assume child pornography offenders are pedophiles. This might be a good time to cite a recent poll that among Republicans, 25% found QAnon to be valid, compared with 14% of independents and 9% of Democrats. Even worse, in response to a media question, Senator Mike Braun, Republican of Indiana, cited the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade as an example of judicial activism, saying it should never have been federalized. It was way out of sync, I think, with the contour of America then. The follow-up questioning, Brown asserted the Supreme Court should never have restricted a state from the right to outlaw interracial marriages. Political theater with Justice Kentanji Brown-Jackson is the prop. Maybe it is worth remembering that Kavanaugh won approval with a single Dem vote, and they, uh, Amy Coney Barrett with zero. But with today's announcement by Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat West Virginia, of his support, Jackson is almost certain to be our first black female justice. During the hearings, Senator Cory Booker, Democrat in Jersey, shared this Langston Hughes poem. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet, and yet must be the land where every man is free. For all the ranting we are subjected to about freedom of speech and gun rights, how do we simply ignore the simple premise of the 14th Amendment that protects our collective civil rights. Republicans don't have the right to pick and choose as they see fit. War, pandemic, global climate crises, there are many signals that we face greater challenges, and yet Republicans want to relitigate our human rights to fit their unjust image of America that served them but not others. Hughes continued, America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. Booker added, there is a love in this country that is extraordinary.